Genesis chapter 37. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And there are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought to his father their evil report, verses 1 and 2. So there's now developing a strained relationship between Joseph and his brothers because of Jacob and his love for Rachel. When jo Joseph was born, he almost became immediately received a favored son kind of status. And no doubt, Jacob indicated his favoritism toward J Joseph all the way along. And now Joseph is 17 years old and he's out as all of the boys were engaged in the industry of shepherding. But his brothers had been goofing off, and Joseph is the tattletale. He comes and he tells his dad what his brothers are doing, which, of course, never endears you with your brothers. It's always hard to have a brother who is a narc, and so that's just thrown in there. It's just the scripture, verse 2, is just thrown in there. I think to just give us a little bit of the insight why his brothers really began to resent him and hate him. He was a Mr. Good Guy, a Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, and they were bad guys, and he was telling on them, and he was bringing their evil report to his dad. He was reporting on them to their dad, and so that is surely going to bring resentment against Joseph, which of course it did. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors, Genesis 37.3. Now, in the Hebrew, this particular phrase, well, I don't, they didn't know quite how to translate it, and this idea of coat of many colors pretty much came from Martin Luther and his endeavor to translate the Hebrew phrase. But since that time of the King James translation, and the discovery of more ancient records, it is now believed that this should have been translated, made him a sleeved coat. And that would seem to be more accurate translation of this particular difficult Hebrew phrase. Now, the connotation of a sleeve coat was that of rulership. The rulers wore a coat with sleeves, and sleeveless coats were worn by the laborers, and the rulers wore the coats with sleeves. Because the coat with sleeves, you, know, you really couldn't do much work in those. And so it indicated more of an aristocracy, a rulership class, not a workly working class to have a coat with sleeves. The sleeveless coat was the worker's coat. And so when his dad made him a coat with sleeves, it was giving a definite message to his brothers of Jacob's intention of making Joseph the ruler. And that was the intention of Jacob. It really did not come about by Jacob's devices, but later did come about by God's devices. But Jacob in the 49th chapter, which is a classic chapter, gives the reason why the other brothers of Joseph really did not inherit the place of blessing, as did Joseph. When his, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Verse four. 
So real problems arose there in the family of sibling rivalry, of hatred, and their inability now to even say a kind word to him. So Joseph, no doubt, was suffering much from the attitude and the actions of his older brothers. I mean, can you imagine having 10 older brothers that were sort of jealous of you because of your position? But at any rate, Joseph had to go through with 10 older brothers, all of them feeling resentment towards him, none of them able to really speak a kind word to him. And you can imagine all the things that they did to antagonize him and to torment him, you know, tripping him and giving him an elbow now and then and all those things that just really made life quite miserable for Joseph. But even to compound the problems, Joseph dreamed a dream and he told his brothers and they hated him even more. For he said to them, Here, I pray you, this dream that I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and stood up straight. And behold, all of your sheaves stood round about and did obeisance. They bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet even more. For his dreams and for his words. Verses 5 through 8. So some very sharp contention there. And yet he dreamed yet another dream. And he told his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. And then he told it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down ourselves to you to the earth? And his brothers envied him, but his father observed the same. Verses 9 through 11. Jacob tucked it away in the back of his mind, probably wondering just what is going to happen. What significance is there to this? This particular dream of Joseph helps us in the understanding of the book of Revelation. For In the book of Revelation, it goes into an allegorical type of reference in the 12th chapter of the book, where John saw a woman clothed with the sun and the moon and the 12 stars, who was about ready to bring forth a child. The woman of the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation is identified by this dream to be the nation of Israel. To try to give to the woman any other identity, is to speculate only, and it's an unscriptural speculation. There are many today who, in order to try to prove that the church is going to go through the great tribulation, identify the woman as the church. But there is no scriptural kind of foundation to try to make the woman the church, because nowhere is the church described as having the sun and the moon and the 12 stars surrounding it. And they make the man-child that comes forth from the woman sort of a super saint who are caught up during the midst of the great tribulation period. But that is surely a straining of the text and not a natural scriptural following. The woman of chapter 12, because of the identification, must be the nation Israel. And as I pointed out in a book of Revelation, if the woman is the church, she's in serious trouble because 
One, she's pregnant, and two, she's just about ready to have the child. And Paul speaks of the church as a chaste virgin, and he wanted to present the church as a chaste virgin to Christ, certainly not as a pregnant mother. So it strains the interpretation of the church that much trying to make the woman into into the church in Revelation, it strains it that much more. But here gives cause to identify, and surely the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And the Bible is an amazing commentary on the Bible. It's amazing how many of the things in Genesis are explained further in the scriptures, or how even amplify, or are amplified further in the scriptures. So the best commentary you can ever buy on the Bible is just simply the Bible itself, comparing scripture with scripture. So his brother went to feed their father's flock in Shechem, verse 12. They probably figured, we're getting out of here. He's nuts with his dreams and we can't stand him. We'll head for Shechem, which was about 67 miles away from where they were staying in the area of Hebron. And Israel said to Joseph, do not your brethren feed the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here am I. And he said to him, Go, I pray you, and see whether it is well with your brothers and well with their flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, Who are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Tell me, I pray you, where are they feeding their flocks? And the man said, They are departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before they came, before he came to them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said to one another, Hey, here comes the dreamer. Verse 13 through 19. So surely Joseph, nor his father, had any idea that the brothers' hatred had grown to this extent, or else his father would have not sent him, and Joseph probably would have been reluctant in going. But coming to Shechem and not finding them, he was just sort of roaming around in the field. I would imagine that he was looking for evidences, probably trying to find a trail, looking for the footprints of the flocks and so forth, and just going back and forth through the field trying to find the trail, trying to find out which direction they may have gone. And as he was just sort of wandering in the field, looking for evidences of where they might be, this man said, who are you looking for? Do you happen to know where my brothers have gone with their flock? And he said, yeah, I heard one of them say they're going to Dothan. So he headed out 20 miles further north to Dothan. And so he's almost 90 miles away from home. Now as his brothers see him come and they conspire together to kill him, they said, come now, therefore, let us kill him. We'll cast him into a pit and we'll say some evil beast must have devoured him. And we will see then what will become of his dreams. Verse 20. This is showing the deep resentment they had towards his dream. The very idea that they would bow down to him will thwart, really, the plan of God. We'll see what happens to God's plan after we kill him. Now, of course, there are many who see in Joseph a beautiful type. 
of Jesus Christ and Satan's endeavor to de destroy Jesus to see what could become then of God's plan. And of course, God's plans were fulfilled in the death of Christ. Reuben heard it, he's the oldest brother, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, hey, let us not kill him. Reuben said to them, don't shed blood. Let's just throw him in this pit that is here in the wilderness and don't lay any hand upon him that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. Verse 21 through 22. Now, Reuben being the oldest brother, brother would be then the one who would be the most responsible. He would be the one that would be responsible to his dad for his younger brother. And so seeing that these guys were really serious in their intention to kill him, he felt that it was his responsibility to save him from their anger. And so he suggests an alternate plan. Don't kill him. Just throw him in this pit. Let him starve to death. And that way you don't get your hands bloody. And you won't have his blood on your hands. You just let him die there in the pit. And he was intending to come back a little bit later and let Joseph out of the pit and deliver him back safe to his father. Joseph would have been safe around his father. And it came to pass when Joseph was come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. Verse 23, even as they stripped Jesus of his robe and cast lots, and they took him and cast him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Verse 24. So it indicates that it was probably a cistern. Now, all over the land, they have dug these huge cisterns in the rock, which are water reservoirs. And some of them have, were dug in an area where there was a fracture in the rock, and they wouldn't hold water. So here was a cistern, and it was empty. They usually, all of them, had very steep sides, and so they decided to just dump Joseph in this cistern. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and behold... A company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spices and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let, a, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers were content. Verse 25 through 27. Now, whether or not it was Judah's desire to save his life or to make money is only a matter of speculation, but he is suggesting that they, again, not actually kill him. They could actually make some money off him. What profit is it to kill him? Let's just sell him and we'll make money off him. And how pure were Judah's motives or well-intentioned as far as Joseph is concerned? Now, there's only speculation. We really don't know for sure. But then there passed by the Midianites' merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt, verse 28. And so he is rejected by his brethren and sold, even again in the typology as Christ was rejected by his brethren and was sold for 30 pieces of silver, by Judas Iscariot. Now, at this point, Joseph was really crying and pleading with his brothers that they would have mercy on him and all. And his brothers just really turned a deaf ear to his pleas. And later on in the book of Genesis, it tells how 
his brothers when he was playing games with them in Egypt and putting pressure on them and said, you know, this is really our fault. We didn't have mercy on our brother in the 42nd chapter, verse 21. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the anguish of his soul when he begged us and he would, and we would not hear. Therefore is this distress come upon us. Verse 42, 21. And so, Going just a little bit ahead in the story, when Joseph became the ruler in Egypt and his brothers came down to buy grain, they did not recognize Joseph. Of course, some of the 20 years had transpired. Joseph was just 17 years old when his brothers sold him. Now, he was 30 years old when he came to Pharaoh, and he, and he was seven years feast, or the plentiful years, so he was at least 20 years older since his brothers last saw him, and he was now older, matured, and had no doubt the style of hair and beard and so forth as the Egyptians, and they didn't recognize that this was their brother, but he recognized them, but didn't let them know who he was, spoke to them through an interpreter. But he started giving them a bad time. He said, you guys are spies. You're not brothers. You've come down here to spy out Egypt. I would have to put you all to death, you know, and just would give them a bad time. And so he was giving such a rough time, they started talking to each other in Hebrew, not knowing that he could understand. And they said, hey, hey, you know, and it shows that you can't get away from your guilt. You may bury it down in the recesses of your mind that you might try to sublimate it. But guilt will out. Somewhere or other, guilt will out. It will out in a neurotic behavior pattern, or it will out in some form or other. Guilt will out. There's only one thing that can remove your guilt. And that is confession to Jesus Christ and receiving his forgiveness. That's the only thing that can remove your guilt. And so the brothers, 20 years later, are still feeling guilty over the acts that they did. This is caused because we saw the anguish of his soul, and we didn't give any heed to it. So Joseph was really begging them, pleading with them, no doubt crying, and yet they were heartless. They were hard, and as he was being carried away in this caravan, probably chained to the other slaves, looking back, pleading, crying, don't do this, and they didn't have any compassion on him whatsoever. So later, Reuben, now Reuben evidently had gone off someplace while the brothers conspired to sell him. Reuben came back to the pit and saw that it was empty, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to the other brothers, and he said, the child is, in, is not in the pit, and I don't know where I'm going to go. And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat with long sleeves and brought it to their father and said, we have found this coat. You know, do you know whether or not it's your son's coat? And he knew it. And he said, it is my son's coat. An evil beast has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn in pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes and put on sackcloth. And he mourned for his son for many days. And all the sons and all the daughters. Daughters, plural. So he had other daughters but only one is named. They rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, I will go down into the grave mourning for my son. And thus the father wept for him. Genesis 37, 29 through 35. So Jacob, the deceiver, 
deceiving his father to get his brother's blessing, ends up being deceived. Deceived by his father-in-law, Laban, and now deceived by his own sons. Notice the sons didn't say anything about it. They let the old man come to his own conclusions. They just brought him a bloody coat and said, now, do you recognize this? It happens to belong to your son. And they let their dad just jump to the conclusion that an animal must have killed his son. Joseph was no doubt torn in pieces and they let him jump to that conclusion and then let him believe it. But they were again deceiving him. And so he who was deceived or he who deceived ends up being deceived. Now, the last verse seems to belong more. Well, it, it just closes off this chapter. And then chapter 38 is just sort of a separate little story all on its own. The Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer. Genesis thirty-seven thirty-six. The word officer here in Hebrew literally is eunuch. A eunuch of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. Verse 36. Now, chapter 38 is just thrown in to give us a little bit of historical background concerning the ancestry of Jesus Christ. For even as marvelous a person as Joseph was, his was not to be the blessing of having the Messiah come through him. The Messiah was to come through the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Joseph. And so God, by his own election and choice, choosing the tribe of Judah, that it might be by grace and not by works, shows us a little insight into Judah and the fact that the ancestry of Christ isn't really a pure kind of ancestry. There are several insertions into the ancestry of Jesus that if we were choosing a family background for our own son, we probably wouldn't have chosen this one. But in order that he might be fully identified with each one of us, God did not choose a perfect lineage to bring him from, but imperfect in order that we might feel and know an identity with Christ. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this story. and Thank you for these words, Lord, that we can learn from that, that we can chase with your blessing, with your grace, with your mercy, that we can chase hatred out of our heart. Father, build us up. Let us know your love for us every day. But let us bow our knee to you, Lord, for you are the creator. You are our savior. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.